you know, she's never faked a smile in 18 years. Yeah. Um, you know, we all say cheese and smile for the camera and all that right. kind of stuff. She's never done that. Every single smile or laugh it's is a real completely deal. authentic. And yeah. that's just what makes it so special. But also, you know, you, you look at her and you think, how could you be smiling? You were whole and did not even know it. Now, that's not a rhetorical question, my misfit friends. We're actually going to attempt to answer it right here, right now, on today's episode of the Isle of Misfits. That's the name of this here podcast, by the way, in case you didn't know. And I am your humble host, your misfit host, Nancy Carmichael, in case you didn't know that, now you know. But we're not here to talk about me. No, no, no. We're here to talk to the man who's going to help us answer that question I just posed to you. His name is Robin Steele. And he's got a story to share with us today because, as you might have already guessed, he's written a book. And the name of that book is How to Be Made Whole. So I think we just need to get right to it because I, for one, am really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome, Robin. I'm so glad to have you here today. Oh, man, it's an honor, honor, honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, I've been looking forward to this chat uh, ever since, you know, I've been reading your book and um, what a story, what a story. So, um, and I'm going to jump in right here. I know this is a weird place, but I I found some connecting points between Uh your family and ours. Um, Not to give the whole book away, but at one point you talked about um, cheat sheets, calling girls on the phone. (laughs) And it reminded, it actually, my, my own husband, he, he disclosed to me at one point in his life that he did the very same thing. Um, and funny. yes, he's an engineer. So, um, you know, that explains him. So yeah. So tell me a little bit about your cheat sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I was such a shy kid growing up and I didn't really, you know, want to talk to anybody, honestly. And, but man, I was really attracted to girls, obviously. And I, I wanted to have a girlfriend and wanted to, you know, connect with girls. So I knew that talking on the phone was like the way to do it back in the old days. Back in the day, it's, yep. Yeah, it was before texting, before, you know, you could send a message or a direct message or whatever. So I had to pick up the old-fashioned landline and give them a call. And so I would create a little cheat sheet of about four or five topics that I could just kind of hop on and talk about whenever nice. the conversation stalled out. Nice. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah. So with my husband, I think he, he took it a little, you know, cause like I said, he's an engineer. He took it one logical step further and I think he made like a decision tree. So if it went this way, we oh, talk yeah. about this. Yes. Awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, apparently it worked cause here we are 15 yeah. and a half years later. So oh, that's funny. <laughs> so yeah. So speaking of funny and um, well, not stupid, because none of that is stupid, and yet I needed a segue to get to. Uh, so mm. I, you know, we have a lot of really meaningful things to talk about, and I mm. want to get to them. Mm. But before we do, it just it just seems right. It seems like a time honored tradition, which my listeners know here. We have to start with a stupid game, okay. and um, I just want to invite you if you're so inclined to play my stupid game with me. I'll 
I will be stupid. Yes, I will. Okay. All right. Now, <laughs> the stupid part of it is that it doesn't make you look stupid. It's really about me, um, the stupid part. But um, in any event, so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to set you up for success right okay. off the bat. This is not okay. about humiliation. So I, um, the stupid game is crafted in your honor, something that I learned about you in reading your book. And um, at one point, again, not to give the whole thing away, but you talked about doing a little binge-watching of a show from back in the day we like to call the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A classic. Me yeah. TV, I'm sure, I think still plays it. So um, so here's your stupid game. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you on, okay. uh, yeah, are you smarter than a hillbilly or how much of a hillbilly you really are? So yeah. I, got, I got an easy quiz and I got a more challenging one. So I'm going to put that out to you. I need easy all right, we're going to go for the easy. It's been years since I did the okay. binge watching, so. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll make this quick and painless. So I think I have a feeling you're going to do really well. Okay. Okay, so let me start. Okay, here we go. Where did the Clampet money come from? And if you want, I can give you multiple choice, but let's see. No, I, I, okay. it's uh, uh, a bubbling crude. It was oil. When they hit, they hit oil. That is correct. See, yep. you know, yes, and it's in their little theme song. I should, you know, if I was really mean, I'd make you thing sing the theme song. <laughs> but, you know, only if you want to. I don't think I can. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll move. We'll move right along. Okay. So that was easy. All right. I'll bump it up just a little bit. Okay. Who did Miss Hathaway have a crush on? And again, uh, I can give you multiple she, choice. She had a crush on Jethro. She indeed did have a crush on Jethro. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, she was. A, it was a cougar crush because she was quite a bit <laughs> older than him. But yeah, see, you're doing great. Okay, a couple more questions. Oh boy, I. You know what? I got to do this. If you watched them all, you maybe know this, but I thought it was interesting. What actor or actress played the part of Jethreen? Not Jethro, but Jethreen. Oh, it was the same you know, guy. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know his name, but yeah. So, so that Max, it was Max Bear Jr. And I'm okay. not sure if I believe wasn't he a boxer, Max know. Bear, or maybe the son of a boxer. So maybe that was him. But anyway, you got it right. Okay, one more question. One more. Okay, I know you're going to get this. I feel this in my very being. Okay, last question. <laughs> what were the two things that Granny continued to make while living? In their mansion. I'll give you multiple choice because it's here and I'm here for you. Okay. All right. So was it clay pots and reading glasses? Was it moonshine and lye soap or none of the above? Oh, it's moonshine. And lye soap. You're right. You're right. See, of course you would know this because... As we know, you are an expert. You are smarter than a hillbilly. Congratulations. You You did an excellent job. I just looked it up on Google, and Max <laughs> Jr. played Jethro also. Okay, well, that makes sense. So, all right, so, somewhere in the back of my mind, that name is familiar, because it obviously wasn't him, but I almost think his father was a famous boxer. Oh, okay. Well, for the record, that's the only one I Googled. 
Uh, I didn't all right. Google all the others. So that's okay. I didn't I tell didn't you keep... you couldn't Google either. I didn't say okay. so. Yeah. So it was an open book test, but you really didn't need it because you did. You did it. You aced the test. Okay. Congratulations. And for just for your participation, and actually uh, because you won, it's not just a participation trophy. You will be getting your very own Isle of Misfit Own Your Awkward Mug. So congratulations. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so thrilled. So uh, that will be coming to you at some point in the near future. And okay. So, all right. So now I want to move along. And I want to start here, actually, another seemingly random point. At one point, you made a reference to icebergs. Yeah. And what was interesting, I thought, oh, that's that's interesting to me because I had just, well, just before all of the world went a little crazy, yeah. was reading a book that had icebergs in it. And then as I read more, I'm like, oh, it's the same book by Peter Scazzaro. So yeah. I... Absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting and not at all a coincidence. So I wanted to start there, and then I want to get into your story. So what's the deal with the icebergs? Yeah, Pete Scazzaro was a big influence on me. I read his book, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, so that's kind of where I got the beginning ideas of the iceberg. But, um, yeah, so icebergs are just a beautiful picture of us um, where you know iceberg only has 10% of its mass above the surface of the water and 90% of its mass is below the surface and it's just a picture of us we have a portion of us which i believe is a very small portion it it may not be 10% but it's um you know the minority portion of us is what everybody sees and um there's a huge part of us that's below the surface that no one sees we don't even want to see it ourselves. sometimes you know we push it away deny that it's there try to act like it didn't happen or whatever um and the sad part is is that we spend the majority of our time on the surface part of our life trying to fix it up and prop it up and we we just neglect a huge portion of who we are spending all that time on what we see yep and, you know, you you brought the scripture up at least once. I, I'm thinking several times. Many Christians know I actually had the scripture at my wedding. It's um, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. It says, uh, what no eye has seen, mm -hmm. what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, mm -hmm. the things God has prepared for those who love him. And I bring that up because, you know, we, we focus so much of our lives on what we can see, right, and what is evident and what we want other people to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet you have a story that that speaks to the things that we don't necessarily see or the things that we don't necessarily conceive. So mm -hmm. now I want to back up and I would love for you to share a little bit about yeah. your story. Yeah. So my wife and I were pregnant with our first child in 2001 and um, we were just excited about having a baby and thinking about all the plans we were going to have for her and um, uh, just going about life my wife uh, is very organic person all natural everything like that so she wanted to have a home birth mm. and it took me a while to kind of get my head wrapped around that but finally i was in and i said well let's just go get a sonogram make sure everything's okay and um you know it got canceled and and then finally we got scheduled to get in and it was she was 30 weeks along so you know she's pretty far along at this point and um 
we go in for the sonogram and the attendants that were there just kept going in and out. They weren't saying anything to us. And for like 45 minutes, we were just sitting there trying to figure out like what's going on. And finally, a supervisor comes in and says, hey, we need to send you to a specialist because we're not seeing something that we think we should see. And so we left and we're like, man, why'd we go to this place? You know, we should have gone to a better place. They don't know what they're doing, you know. And uh, we went to the specialist later that day. And same thing. The sonographer was just taking forever. And finally, the, the doctor walks in and uh, says, we're not seeing your daughter's brain on the sonogram. That's, what, that's why they sent you to me. And uh, when we look at the sonogram, we can't see it either. We can just barely see a little bit of tissue around the outside surface of her skull, but everything else is just fluid. It's just water, basically, spinal fluid. And so uh, your daughter's probably going to be born with, uh, if she's born alive at all, she's going to have significant uh, special needs. And, um, you know, you, you can actually... Uh, abort her if you would like uh, you can go to Kansas and get a late term abortion mm-hmm. uh, or you can go ahead with you know the, the natural course and uh, my wife and I were just stunned you know we sat there and we were shocked Yeah, we didn't know what to do uh, for a second you know we were just like how are we going to do this what are we going to do and we you know talked for a little bit and finally decided uh we're going for this, you know, we're going for life. We're going to see what God can do. And so he said, okay, we'll keep coming back. We'll do sonograms every week. We'll monitor the progress. And so, you know, we went home, we started praying. We have a huge family, church family. We all praying, just believing that God was going to heal our baby. And every time we go back to the sonogram, it was worse. You know, the doctor said there's, there's less brain uh, that we can see. There's more fluid. Her, her head's getting very large. And uh, so finally, uh, it came point uh, for birth, and uh, they scheduled a C-section at 38 weeks. And we go in for the to the birth, and, uh, and it was just it was crazy. Birth is amazing; it's a miracle. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like birth. Um, you know, seeing a human come out of another human being is mm-hmm. is crazy and awesome. Um, and so we experienced that beauty, but also our hearts sank when we saw our baby come out and she just was, um, so different, you know, than a normal baby. Her head was so big and, uh, they whisked her away to an MRI and, um, that MRI revealed that the condition was actually worse than what we had thought that, uh, her brain actually didn't form correctly. And, um, so it wasn't like a normal brain that was just pushed to the side the brain actually didn't form correctly mm-hmm. and it was pushed to the side. So right. they said kids with this condition, you know, usually live uh, six months, maybe a year. Uh, so just take her home and enjoy her. And so um, we literally took her home with just the expectation that she was going to die. And we just had to kind of walk through that season. Well, um, hmm. one year turned into another year that turned into another year. And, we go through flu seasons and she get pneumonia and get over it and all kind of, you know, challenging things. And she just kept living. <laughs> and so um, mm-hmm. here we are today and she's still alive and kicking and she's going to turn 19 years old. That's amazing. Next month. That's so, amazing. Yeah. 
So uh, at the same time, though, she has profound special needs. You know, she, yeah. she, yeah. Can't, she can't use uh, her arms or legs. She can't eat by mouth. So we tube feed her. Um, she doesn't speak with words. Um, she's, she's very nonverbal. She communicates uh, nonverbally. But, you know, so she requires attention all the time. And um, it's, it's a lot of it is a lot of hard work. But at the same time, her life is incredibly beautiful. And there's so many things about my daughter that are inspirational. And um, she lights up the room with her smile. Okay. I, I just have to. I, I want to be mindful to not interrupt you. But there, I have to interrupt you because, yes, I went on your website, which we'll talk about, um, and yeah. saw just a little video of her. And, oh, my goodness her smile <laughs> what a smile yeah you know she's never faked a smile in 18 years yeah um you know we all say cheese and smile for the camera and all that right. kind of stuff she's never done that every single smile or laugh it's is a real deal authentic yeah and yeah. that's just what makes it so special but also you know you, you look at her and you think how could you be smiling you know how could you be happy how could you have any joy in your life when you can't do anything? You know, you just sit mm. there, you can't talk. It's just crazy. It's amazing. Can't do anything. All right. I think that's what we have to talk about now because yeah. um, doing, doing and being. Um, and I, you know, I've heard this phrase. You've probably heard it too, right? God didn't make human doings. Mm -hmm. He made human beings. And we right. think, oh, that's a clever way to put it. What, uh -huh. what a nice thought. And then we go on with our lives, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but let's, let's stop there for a minute. Let's, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So we are conditioned because we live in such a hard, hard world that we have to work and we have to produce. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, it's good to work and it's good to earn a living and right. uh, connect with other people and learn how to connect, learn how to talk, learn how to build bridges with people. And all. So there's a lot of effort in it, a lot of work in it. Uh, but unfortunately, we can allow that working and that effort to define who we are. And it can begin to drive our life into thinking that the only way we can have any sort of meaning in our life is if we earn something or get to a certain level. And um, honestly, that came and hit us in the face, like right at my daughter's birth. So like three days after she was born, I was at her bedside and I saw the doctor's notes, um, you know, right there by her bed. They had a clipboard and the doctor had written some notes and you know, it's kind of hard to re read a doctor's handwriting, but I was, mm -hmm. I was kind of snooping around reading. And I saw something that just, I'll never forget. He said, we've told their parents, we've told her parents that their daughter will not have a meaningful life. And oh, I just yikes. Oh. blew me away. You know, I was so mad. I was so angry. So, yep. you know, I have to say they the from a medical standpoint, the doctors and nurses did an incredible job. And, and I don't think he was trying to be mean. You know, right. I don't think he was like, ah, right. your daughter's bad, you know. But it just really, really showed the human condition that, yes. that we associate doing things with being meaningful. Right. 
And I've often thought, like, what what would it take for him to say that my daughter crossed the threshold of meaning? You know, like if she lived a certain amount of time or if she graduated or if she talked, you know, like uh, so it, it it really it was a hard thing to see. But it was a really good thing because it it just took us to Jesus. You know, it took us to God and really said, God, you you're the only one that can say we're meaningful. You're the only one that can say we have value. And what's so contagious about that is that at some point in her life, I was like, well, if God says that about her and God says that that she means something to him before she does anything, then he says that about me and he loves me. And I mean, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, but right. before I'm a good dad, before I'm a good husband, before I am a good pastor, because man, there's just so many markers in my life that I try to get to. Um, he loves me and I'm meaningful to him. Oh, it's just so, so powerful. Yeah, and even as you're speaking, okay, I'm going to see if I can make sense out of my thoughts as you're speaking, because you said something a minute ago. You you, you said, you know, it's good to work. It's good to have effort, right? And yeah. then you talked about, you know, what the doctor said and meaningful life and what is that threshold of meaning. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just pose this thought to you just to get your reaction. Going back to the iceberg, right? So we, we judge what we see. Well, there's that effort, there's that benchmark, there's that whatever, whatever we want to say, whether, you know, getting your PhD or taking mm-hmm. your first steps or what those things that we can see yeah. that clearly show, you know, a, a, a level of effort achieved. And yet, I'm thinking of the parable of the talents. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jesus said, you know, certain one got 10, certain one got five, certain one got only one. And the whole point, you know, and you can go back and read that parable, look it up, you know, if you, if you don't know it. Uh, I know you do. I'm talking to the listeners. But um, the whole point of that parable wasn't how many talents they were given. Right. It was, what did you do with it? Yeah. And yeah. I would venture to say, now I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, but I would venture to say that your daughter Kennedy on any given day is putting tremendous level of efforts yeah. yeah. That yeah. maybe can be seen and maybe most of them you will never know yeah. until we're all in wholeness, right? When we're all in the presence of Jesus. So again, it goes back to the iceberg. We determine, well, what is work? What is effort? Uh-huh. You yeah. know, doing. And and every day your daughter is doing something uh-huh. very meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually that's um Book number two, if I ever get the strength uh-huh. to write it. <laughs> yeah. Pretty tired right now, but um, right. Yeah, just exploring that idea of how to do something great. As long as you don't get the cart before the horse. So, like, your meaning right. and your value comes from God right. before you do anything. But that's the foundation that you launch from to do something that you've been called to do. So exactly. we're not yeah. just supposed to like lay around our house and be like, I'm meaningful. I'm just going to lay around and do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's actually the posture that you go out and do something profound with. But you just have to make sure you have accountability in your life that you don't shift 
to thinking that that production is what gives you your value. Exactly. Um, that's where so many people screw up is that we start getting the affirmation from people and we get addicted to that affirmation from people and we think that that is the most important thing and then we just are enslaved to their approval instead of resting in our approval from God and doing something. So yeah, uh, that's the problem. That's the tension. I mean, I face it yes. too. I've, I've written a book on it. I know it in my head and I mm -hmm. still wrestle with it. I'm like reading a book again. <laughs> right, like, right. I need this. I need it because we're human and we're tempted to believe something that's just not right about God and not right about ourselves. Yeah, and and you said it. It it is that tension because you know, newsflash. You're you know, and I know you know this, but you're not the only one that lives in that tension. I live in that tension, yeah. and I, I I think I think it's safe to say that everyone listening lives in that tension because. We want our lives to matter, right? Yeah. We want our lives to mean something. Yeah. And that and that's what creates that tension between being and doing and how can our lives mean something if we're not doing something important. Yeah. And yet, I think it, it hinges on, on what you just said, that we can't do anything until we have learned what it means to be yeah. who we are yeah. in God's presence. Mm. So true. Yeah, and then further, it's you know, let's let's define well, what is doing, what is work, and and I think that's where we go back to that whole iceberg mm -hmm. picture. Yeah. You know, God created work before sin came into the Garden of Eden. He he gave Adam and Eve the assignment to steward over the garden, to multiply, you know, to be fruitful and multiply. So humans have roles as uh you know relationally and also with the world to steward the world and that was before they made a mistake hmm so there is a first the rest of this conversation apparently went the way of the iceberg and it looks like we just got the tip ah technology but you know i guess that's kind of apropos because there's a whole lot more to Robin Steele and his beautiful daughter Kennedy's story, How to Be Made Whole. And I know you'll want to go deeper. So you can find it on Amazon, of course. Um, but you can also look up Pastor Robin at PastorRobin.com, uh, where you can find all kinds of leadership ideas, sermon notes, and lots of other things. So check that out. And you know what? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I happen to have a copy of his book. And if you want it, just contact me by November 15th at isleofmisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of misfits.com and say, hey, I want this book. And I'll send my little copy out. And if I hear from more than, a, you know, more than one of you, we'll do a drawing. So there you go. And you know what? Since we're here, here's something I never ask. But hey, we've got the time. So I'm going to ask, would you, my misfit friend, if you enjoy these podcasts, would you consider giving us a little shout-out on iTunes with the review? And you know what? Since I'm just being crazy bold and doing all this asking, why not subscribe to it on iTunes and follow me at isleofmisfits.com? I'd so deeply appreciate it. We want to keep sharing these stories and building our little misfit community into a great big misfit community because there's a whole lot of people out there who we want to encourage 
own your awkward, love your fellow misfit, and seek beauty and truth everywhere.